Good morning. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Again, if we haven't met before, my name is Tabitha. I am Pastor Brian's wife, and we get the privilege of leading the student ministry here. The very loud ones were the kiddos that I love in the third and fourth rows back there. But um, I'm so glad to get to share the word with you this morning. Last week, um, as we started Summer Journey, Pastor Josh gave an amazing message on rest. And I don't know about you, but it really spoke a lot to me. And he talked about how God demonstrated the need and the prioritization for rest in the book of Genesis. And one of the really cool points um, that he mentioned was man's first day after God created us was a day of rest. That that's how important us resting is to God. And then in Exodus, he said that God commanded a Sabbath a day of rest, a day of reconnecting with him. And one of the most important points as far as it's going to apply today that Pastor Josh said last week is we um, learned that we were created to work from a place of rest. That we're in a culture that wants us to work, 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 go, 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 go. But we need rest emotionally, spiritually, physically. And we can't do the work that God wants us to do if we're not resting the way that God has commanded us to rest. And it's funny because when I found out I was gonna speak this morning, I really very quickly knew what God wanted me to say. But then I found out Pastor Josh was gonna talk about rest last week. And he's talked about rest. And I'm gonna tell you this morning to get off the bench and get in the game. And that felt a little conflicted. I'm not gonna lie, it felt a little conflicted, but God being awesome just showed me and I felt like while I was praying about it, God just said to me, there's a difference between resting and quitting. We need rest. Too often our lack of rest is what leads us to quit and to give up. And so this morning I'm gonna talk about quitting or more accurately about not quitting and that we need to play to the whistle which is a sports-like cliche, phrase, whatever. I don't do the sports. I'm like the last person that should be up here using a sports analogy for any kind of sermon. I, like, they all know, I make this joke all the time, and it's funny because it's true. If you see me running, if I am ever jogging, you need to see what is around me because something is chasing me. And you either need to help me or start running too, Because I learned from the movie without a paddle, I don't have to be faster than the bear. I just have to be faster than you. So I don't run. I don't do the sports. I do love a good sports movie, though. So that's how we're going to make this happen today. Is one of my favorite sports movies is the film We Are Marshall. And in the film, one of the, one of the best scenes early in the film is the new coach steps out on his front porch. It's the first game of the season. And the entire small town is walking past his house to the game. And he picks up his little boy and he says, what day is it, son? He says, it's game day. What day is it? It's game day. Time to play until the whistle blows. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And what does that mean? It means that we don't give up. In sports, until the final whistle blows, signaling that the game is over, we don't stop. You keep playing your hardest out on that field. And it works the same with God. Because see, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And reaching it won't always be easy, but you can't give up. And I wish I could show you the whole movie this morning because it's real good. You should go watch it, but I can't. So we're going to look at a different story 
found in 2 Kings chapter 2. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. You can follow along with me if you have your Bible or on your device, or it'll be on the screen. And I think that this um, section of scripture paints a really good picture of the play to the whistle mentality in our walk with God. So I'm going to read it real fast here. It says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel and the company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know. Elisha replied, so be quiet. Okay. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha and Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. And I lost my place. Oh, Lord. Okay, here we go. And says the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? And in my version, Elisha's getting a little sassy at this point and goes, yes, I know. He said to them, so be quiet. Or really in my version, it would go, so shut up. Says, then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. And Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and he tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. And if you spend any amount of time in church, you probably heard that story before. And normally the focus is on the end. The focus is on Elijah leaving this world in a blaze of glory and Elisha picking up his cloak and inheriting a double portion of anointing. But what I wanna focus on this morning is the journey that led to that. Because we have a purpose. God has something for you, just like he had something for Elisha, but it's gonna take you a little bit to get there. And too often we give up somewhere along the journey. We give up. Elisha knew going, knew that God was going to take Elijah and he was going to, and he wasn't going to miss out on what God may have for him. Any scraps left in his time with his mentor, he was going to go after all of it. He was going to keep moving forward until the very end. One of um, mine and my husband's mentors is Jeannie Mayo. And she says this, one of hell's biggest lies is that you can stand still in your pursuit of Christ and it won't cost you. That we can just sit down 
and it won't cost us anything, that as long as I'm good, as long as I don't do anything bad, as long as I show up at church on Sunday morning, that, it, that that's enough, that I can sit there and it won't cost me anything. Stephen Furtick put it this way, the only thing that can derail your destiny is your complacency. And I would say to you this morning, the enemy doesn't need you to be bad if he can make you lazy. See, as, as believers, we get this mentality that, it, that as long as I'm not bad, as long as I'm not doing anything bad, or as long as I believe in Jesus and I go to church, that that's enough. That, and, and it might be enough to get you into heaven, but can I tell you this morning, it ain't all about you. There's a world that is looking at you for answers that you have. And the enemy is fine with you believing in Jesus as long as you don't do the work to get anybody else to. He's willing to let you stay a complacent Christian as long as you aren't helping put in any points on the board for team Jesus. So this morning, we're gonna trace Elijah and Elisha's journey and we're gonna see what we can learn together. All right. And it starts out in chapter two, verse one. And it says, Elisha went with Elijah from Gilgal. And Gilgal in the Old Testament, after the Israelites crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, Gilgal was the first place that they camped. It's where they set up the 12 stones to memorialize what God had done for them. And for us this morning, Gilgal represents the point at which you experience biblical salvation. You meet Jesus. Maybe you pray a prayer you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord. It's the beginning. It was the beginning of their journey. It's the beginning of our spiritual journey. But for too many of us, it's the end. We meet Jesus as our savior, but we never walk out a life with him as our Lord. And for some of us, we met Jesus as our savior, but because we never walked out a life with him as our Lord, things happened in our life and we wanna blame God for it. And God's going, don't put that on me. I didn't tell you to go there. I didn't tell you to do that. And we say, but you're my savior. He goes, yeah, but there's more to it than that. And see, for us, we can't just stop there. We can't just pray a prayer and not do the work of the relationship. It's a relationship. God wants relationship with you. And that takes work. That takes effort. In verse two, Elijah said to Elisha, wait here, just stay here, tarry here. And see for us, if we're not careful, our natural human laziness and apathy, because we all naturally, our flesh, when it comes to the things of God is very lazy. And it'll say, just wait there, that's enough. You gave your heart to God, that's enough. You don't need to do anything else. The enemy would love for you to believe that. You don't need to do anything else. Just stay there. It would be like we put on the uniform, but we never really take the field. We say, here I am, God, and, and I, I want you to be my savior. And we put on that uniform and then we ride the pine. We go to the game and instead of chanting, run, defense, go team, we're chanting, just sit down. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine like at a Cardinals game? And I don't know anything about baseball, but something like really cool happens. And instead of everybody like going crazy, they're like, eh, that was good. Just sit down. You know, you got one home run. Why don't you guys take a break? 
That's ridiculous, right? I mean, all of us here know that that would be ridiculous. I mean, I don't know anything about sports, but I know that would be ridiculous. But that's how we treat our relationship with God is we take the first step and we put on the uniform and then we just sit down. We aren't doing anything wrong after all. And so the enemy tells us that's enough. And all of my good little kiddos from the youth ministry can tell you what I always say. You can be doing nothing wrong and still be doing nothing right. You can be doing nothing wrong and still be doing nothing right. A relationship with God is not about doing nothing wrong. It's about doing something right so that other people can be led to Jesus. Because hear me this morning, you don't do something. When I talk about doing and I talk about playing to the whistle, you don't do that to earn something from God. God cannot possibly love you any more than he does at this moment. He gave himself for you. There is no greater love than that. He values you beyond measure exactly as you are. You don't do to earn something more from God. You do the work of Christianity. You play to the whistle because there's a whole world full of people that still need to know that love. That's why we do it. So you get to Gilgal and you have that moment And I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's just because life is hard or you're still figuring things out. I also know that I've seen in ministry a lot of times that person gets saved and they're so excited and they're so passionate, that baby Christian, and they're so excited about God and they want to tell everyone the gospel and they just want to shout and jump and their whole life is changing and they just want to tell everyone and a very well-meaning believer will go, oh, honey, you need to calm down. You're getting a little zealous. You're new. That's not how things work. And we basically tell them to sit down. Maybe somebody told you that. Maybe life came along and told you that, but we can't stop there. It's in the beginning that we need to set the right habits. We need to be creating the right routines in our daily lives. Because this morning, I'm not talking about what happens in church. I'm talking about what happens in your home, in your personal walk with God Monday through Saturday. It's not just church. It's Monday through Saturday. And we need to have the routines in our life where we are in God's word, where we are in prayer, where we're on our knees, where we're seeking God and we're pushing deeper in that relationship. That I'm not going to sit down. It keeps pushing us to do more that we're not going to settle for doing nothing wrong. We're going to seek to do something right. In the book of James, it says that faith without works is dead. And I would propose to put it to you this way this morning. Belief without action is not true belief. You can tell me what you believe, but until I see you act out what you believe, I don't believe you. And that's what the world needs. If we really believe this Jesus thing, that God loves us, that he gave himself for us, that he values us, then we will do what needs to be done in response to his love and to lead others to his love. And can I tell the mamas and the daddies in this room, because I have two beautiful little girls, that my highest calling in life is to teach them to be daughters of Zion, to raise them to be women of God. So some of my do, they need to see. If you're in this room, your children need to see you seek God. They need to see you open up your Bible in the morning and have coffee with Jesus. 
They need to see you get on your knees and pray together as a family or in your room. They need to see it. They're the first people that you're going to reach. And don't assume that they know it if they don't see it. Don't assume that. We need to do, we can't stop at the beginning. We can't stop with Jesus being savior. We need to work out a life of training ourselves to let him become our Lord. In 2 Kings verse two, it says, and then Elisha said to him, as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. So the two went on to Bethel. For us this morning, Bethel represents the place where we meet God face to face. In the Old Testament, Bethel was where Jacob wrestled with an angel of the Lord. And I love that story because here's, here's Jacob, just this guy. And, and the Lord shows up and, he, and the word says that he gripped hold of him and said, I will not let go until you bless me. And that the angel of the Lord wrenched his hip to get away before blessing him. And, and that's, those are moments that we need. We live in a culture that we want growth. We want maturity. As a Christian culture, we want favor. We want blessings from God. We have things we need from God. And I'm gonna ask you this morning, when's the last time you wrestled for it? We want God to show up and do, but when's the last time you wrestled for it? When's the last time you got on your knees and said, God, here I am. This is what I need. And I'm not getting up until... We need these Bethel moments in our life. And again, I'm not just talking about what happens at church. It can be that. I love church. Church is my job. I love church. Don't stop coming to church. But I'm not just talking about that. It's on a daily basis. Because it can't be emotion. Too often we substitute emotion for hunger for real change. We substitute emotion for a genuine Bethel moment in our lives. We take students to conferences and conventions and camps and retreats all the time. And one of the things for 15 years that I've always said to them when we go in is it can't be hype. It has to be change. Cause you're going to go in and there's going to be like 16,000 other teenagers screaming their faces off for Jesus and a cool band that's jumping up and down and awesome speakers and lights and all these fun things. And it's real easy to get swept up in that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love that. But if that's all it is, it wasn't enough. Emotion and hunger are very different things. Emotion fades when the service is over. Emotion fades when life comes back into play. But true hunger, when you are wrestling with God, it changes you. And if the emotion fades and there is no life change, I contend it was just emotion. You weren't really wrestling with God. You weren't really letting God mark you. Jacob walked away from that encounter with God for a limp, with a limp for the rest of his life. He was a marked man. He was different. We have to have encounters with God on a regular basis that when we get up, we're different. We have to have that. And can I tell you this morning, hunger and desperation won't let go and they won't give up until they get what they need. What they need, not what they want. Because too often we go into that quiet place with God and we get on our knees. And when God doesn't show up the way we want, how we want, when we want, with what we want, then we back off. It's not about what you want. God knows what you want. He's not trying to just not 
bless you, but he knows that what you need is so much better. But too often we get up when we don't get what we want. And then we're like, well, God just didn't show up in that. Well, I don't, you know, God just maybe doesn't love me. You know, maybe he just doesn't care about my situation and God's going, oh, I care. If you'd have pressed through, you would have gotten what you needed and it would have been so much better than what you wanted. For Jacob, there was no going back after that encounter with God. His name was different. His walk was different. His future was different. And we need some Bethels in our lives that change our identity, that change our walk, that change our future. But if we're not careful, we'll have a moment like that. And then the haunting voices in our mind will once again tell us, just coast here. Relax. Come off the offensive for a little while. Just sit down. Just sit down. Pull up a rocking chair. Grab yourself some sweet tea. Read a magazine. Just chill. And the whole time God's going, no, wrestle for it. In the book of Psalms, when David talks about waiting on the Lord, he wasn't talking about sitting in a chair, sipping sweet tea, reading a magazine. He was talking about wrestling because that Hebrew word actually translates into seeking the presence of God. See, we can't step back. We can't live in the memory of what God did before. God wants to do something now. One of the uh, quote by A.W. Tozer that keeps me motivated says that God never uses a man or woman he can easily get rid of. See, you can't live off past hunger. You can't live off of past moves of God. You can't survive off of what God did years ago. We need to be a people that are pushing for more of God, more of his presence, a fresh anointing, a fresh word. You can't stop there. You can't live off the fumes of past revival when God wants to bring you a new one. Some people get so stuck in what God did and the way God did it then that they're missing out on what God's trying to do now because God's not showing up like he did then. So you sit down and you give up and you can't, you can't stop seeking. Then in second Kings chapter two, verse four, it says, so the two went on to Jericho. Jericho was the location of one of the most strategic battles in the Old Testament where Joshua and the children of Israel marched around the wall for seven days. And on the seventh day, they shouted and the walls fell. And this morning for us, Jericho represents the point at which you meet the enemy face to face. Because trust me, when you put on that uniform and you take that field, an enemy, an opponent is going to show up. He's going to show up. And too often we think that he's going to show up in a quick strike. Like a cobra or a viper. It's going to be a quick bite. And it might look like that at the beginning, but our enemy works more like a python. And he comes in and he wraps himself around us with fear and insecurity and bitterness and resentment and shame. And he wraps around and he wraps around. And every time you try to take a breath, he squeezes tighter and he squeezes tighter and he squeezes tighter until you're suffocating. And when you find yourself in that place, when that enemy has shown up in your life, once again, everything is gonna whisper, just stay here. You're tired. Just wait here. 
You're wounded. Just wait here. And can I ask you this morning, when did you meet the enemy? Where did you meet him? And did you stop fighting and choose to just lay dying? You hear me? I don't mean to lessen your pain. I'm not trying to to take away from your hurt because I know that some things are so painful and they hurt us so deep down that it's hard to let go. And I don't know what you faced or what you're facing, but what I know is if you choose to live in the pain, you will miss what God has for you. And you can't control what was done to you and you can't change what you did, but you can choose whether or not you're gonna wait there. Whether you make camp and let the enemy continue to steal your future because of your past. That's your choice. God is right there ready and waiting to bring healing, to bring restoration, to bring forgiveness. But we choose to sit in our pain and to sit in our bitterness and to sit in our resentment. We choose to sit there. And we need to be willing to take the steps to move forward. Some of you find yourself this morning and you feel like you can't breathe, but it's your choice because you stayed there. You let the enemy continue to circle and circle and get tighter and tighter. And part of it is we get so caught up in what was done to us or by us. Well, if you knew what I did, if you knew what they did to me, you wouldn't say that. But can I tell you this morning, what happens in you is a whole lot more important to God than what happened to you. When you get your mind set on Jesus to fight that battle, first of all, he's gonna be right there fighting it with you. Don't think that you're alone in it, but he will, and he'll give you the strength to face what comes on the outside, but don't let a moment of hurt or a moment of guilt or one bad decision steal and destroy the rest of the future that God has for you. Don't wait there. I don't care how long it's been. I don't care if it's something that happened when you were a child or that happened yesterday. This morning, if you're not dead, you're not done. So get up. Stop letting the enemy steal. Stop letting the enemy win. Get up. In 2 Kings 2 verse 6 are probably five of the most important words in the entire Old Testament. It says, and the two walked on. They kept going. They went on. They went on to the Jordan. And for us this morning, the Jordan equals the point of no return. I love that we sang that song this morning that Christ is enough. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. That's the Jordan. It's where you say, no matter what happens, I will not give up or give in or go back. I'm all in. No matter how much it hurts, no matter how hard the work is, I will not give up. Even when it's hard, I won't just wear the uniform. I will get in the game. And if I have to, I'll get a little dirty. I will dig my heels in and I will play as hard as I have to, to finish this until the whistle blows that my life is consecrated to God. And no matter what, I will follow him. I will be obedient to all the way to the blessing, to my purpose, to the very end. That's what I'm going to say. That's how my life is going to be lived this morning. Are you hungry? Are you passionate? Are you that desperate for God that you will play until the whistle blows? And We Are Marshall, that movie is based on a true story. And 
Um, what happened is in 1970, the entire football team of the Marshall University Thundering Herd was killed in a plane crash. 37 players, five coaches, two athletic trainers, the athletic director, 25 boosters, and a crew of five all died. And it was such a tragic event for the school and for the small town where the school is located that they were just going to shut down the football program. Because, I mean, how do you keep going after that? But they banded together and, and decided to try and move forward. They hired a new coach. He came in fully aware of the odds stacked against him. I mean, he didn't even have a team anymore. They were gone. He had to pull athletes from other sports at the university just to build a team. And in their first season, can I tell you, they only won two games. We'd like to believe that they came out champions. They won two games. After that, they experienced 13 straight losing seasons. Talk about your inspirational sports film right there. In the 1980s, the school even talked about ending the program again. But in 1984, Marshall had its first winning football season since the airplane crash. They went on to play in five national championships and won more games, 78 to be exact, than any other school in the 1990s. It can't be hype, ladies and gentlemen. It cannot be emotion. It has to be a grit that comes from a changed heart because you won't always feel like you're winning. It won't always feel worth it to follow Jesus. In the film, two of the coaches are talking in one scene in a church, no less. And one of the coaches was ready to quit because someone had reminded him that winning is everything. And the new coach played by Matthew McConaughey said, in football and in life, that just isn't always true. See, sometimes you might not feel like you're winning, but you can't give up. You have to play until the whistle blows because can I tell you a secret this morning? God keeps score differently. You may not see the points that you're adding to the board, but God does. So you can't give up. And at the end of the film, the coach meets with his team. He takes them to the graves of their lost friends. And he says these words. He says, when you take that field today, you've got a chance to lay your heart on the line, men. From the soles of your feet with every ounce of blood you've got in your body, lay your heart on the line until the final whistle blows. And if you do that, we cannot lose. We may be behind on the scoreboard at the end of the game, but we won't be defeated. Yes, our opponent today is bigger, faster, stronger, and on paper, just plain better, and they know it too. But I wanna tell you something they don't know. They don't know the size of your heart, but I do. So when you take that field today, leave your very heart on the line. And that gentleman is why we are Marshall. You know what play to the whistle Christianity is? It's not easy and it's not glamorous, but it is the chance to leave your heart on the line for someone else. Jesus already loves you. Jesus already saved you. There's someone else. It's to play to the whistle. It's to set a pattern for the rest of your life of routines. It's to choose to move forward. It's to not sit the bench when you should be in the game. And I wanna remind you this morning again, it's not just about what happens in here, but too often we mistake serving in ministry for the work of relationship with God. And you can't do that 
Those of you that serve here on one of our dream teams, God bless you and love you because we can't do church without you. And that is such a huge part of your relationship with God. And that is such a huge part of what you do taking that field, but that can't be it. That can't be a substitute for one-on-one time with God. And I would ask you this morning, what does God want you to do? What does God want you to do? Maybe it's to dig into that relationship with him, to do the daily work of it, to make sure that you're picking up your Bible, that you're spending time in prayer. I'm not talking about hours. Lord knows, I know people that get up at like four or 5 a.m. to spend time with Jesus. And that is just not my gifting. Like, no, that's not, I don't, you know, that verse that says Jesus got up very early in the morning to pray. I don't like that. You know, I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you that you have to spend hours with God. It's 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Trust me, you're not too busy for 10 minutes with Jesus. You're not too tired for 15 minutes with Jesus. That's the difference between life and death, that 10 or 15 minutes, and we have to prioritize it. So maybe that's what God is asking you to do this morning, to dig into your personal relationship with him and do the daily work of it. Maybe it's to seek him again. Maybe it's to get in on your knees and push into his presence. Maybe you need a new Bethel. Maybe there's some things in your life that you're struggling with, that you're going through, and you need to wrestle for it. Maybe it's to forgive someone, to forgive yourself, to stop letting the past and the enemy dictate your choices and the course of your life, and to choose to move forward playing with Jesus on his team, on his field, to stop sitting the bench. Maybe it's to take those next steps toward the purpose that he has for you, to discover the thing that he wants you to do, the priorities he wants you to set, the path that he wants you to follow. I don't know what it is for you this morning. Whatever it is, whichever place you're in, all I can tell you is don't sit there. Don't just stop where you are. Don't give up because life got hard. Get off the bench and get in the game. Play to the whistle. And I know this morning, I don't have a lot of practical take home. I don't have five steps. I don't have three points. What I do have is the mentality that I can pass on to you that says when life gets hard, get on your knees and wrestle for it. When the enemy shows up, get on your knees and wrestle for it. When you're tired, get on your knees and wrestle for it. When you have a hard time forgiving, get on your knees and wrestle for it. That's your take home. Is that wherever you are, whatever God is asking you to do, get off the bench and get on your knees and start wrestling for it. And not just for you, for the person next to you, for the coworker, for your children and your grandchildren, for your neighbor, for the cashier at Walmart that you don't even know their name. Get on your knees and start wrestling for it. Don't give up. Keep pushing forward. Whatever happens on this journey, say, I have decided and I'm not going back. If you could stand with me this morning, I would just like to pray over you. Again, I don't know where you're at, but you do. So I would encourage you that as I pray, just 
take a moment and just whisper your own prayer to God. Say, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do from here? What step do I need to take from here? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your presence, for your grace and your love, for your patience with us, God. I pray, Lord God, that you would motivate us, Lord Jesus, to move, to get up, to play, to not quit, that until the whistle blows, we're all in. Lord, I pray for a spiritual tenacity to settle over us, that we would not give up, Lord, that no matter what comes our way, no matter how hard it is or how tired we get or how badly we're hurt, we're gonna keep playing until the whistle blows because we don't just do it for ourselves, we do it for others. I know there are people that you have brought into our lives that surround us, that watch us, Lord God, and let them see a people who are hungry and who are desperate and who are passionate for you, Lord Jesus. Those this morning that are hurting, bring healing and comfort, bring strength, pick us up, Lord God. If we can't pick ourselves up, you pick us up by the power of your Holy Spirit and help us get back into doing what you have purposed for us to do. We are so grateful for you and we are privileged to be used by you. In your name we pray this morning, amen.